Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Puviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have a brilliant, brilliant episode for you today with an unmatched guest and one of the most intelligent people that I know. Dutch pianist Cyril Ibrahim joins the show. Man, we are so, so fortunate to have Cyril on the show. He's a master pianist, but he's also an incredibly profound thinker, and it was certainly a thrill to chat. Cyril completed a Master of Performance degree at the Royal College of Music under a full scholarship. He's gone on to perform at a number of major venues, including St. John Smith Square in London and the Philharmonie in Berlin. He was Artist of the Week on BBC Radio 3 shortly after the release of his debut album Dialogue. He's also appeared on The One Show and has played live on Radio 3's In Tune. In addition to performing, he's the co-founder of the World Harmony Orchestra, which raises awareness of humanitarian causes. And he created the Classical Music Collective, which is an educational platform that believes that nobody plays an instrument alone, and we all need supporters and engagers around us to express our intrinsically musical world. I learned so much from our conversation, and, and there are many layers to his answers throughout our chat. We often went deeper into the social constructs of music, and he talked about how emotions play a role in music, how one can express themselves during a performance, especially when pursuing the truth of music. Cyril also discusses the illusion of perfection and what some of his earliest inspirations in the musical world were. Finally, he discusses how he carries the music, how it's going on a journey together, and in many ways, while he's performing, he shouldn't exist. Instead, it's the art itself that powers on. Fantastic, fantastic conversation with Cyril. And I'm elated for everyone to meet him. Before we bring him on, we're going to play a brief sample from, from Hayden Adagio from Piano Sonata. To hear more of what Cyril has to offer, visit his website, CyrilIbrahim.com. But also, be sure to subscribe to him on YouTube, where you can hear this excerpt from Hayden and many more lovely performances. At the end of the show today, we'll play another sample from Cyril. That time will be from Brahms. Ah, you guys are going to love him. So let's go ahead and bring on British-Dutch pianist Cyril Ibrahim, and let's learn. In what ways was music prevalent for you in your life growing up? Um, I suppose for me, music has always been there. I mean, my parents were musical, but not like they didn't know a lot about classical music. So it was quite difficult. But for me, classical music has always been my to go to music. I was always listening to classical music when I was a young boy. And 
um, there's something about the scope of emotional development in the music that I found so incredibly attractive. So the idea that within one single phrase, you've got so many different emotions and there's so much that can happen uh, in one single phrase. Um, and obviously we have, I mean, it's just besides the enormous history that we, we carry with the music, it's also that it's still very relevant and that's so striking. I think that's something that I always find quite touching, that, touching that this idea that the music, of course, it's you know usually written hundreds of years ago, is still really relevant because the emotions that, that people go through, the composers have gone through, um, that still resonates today because we're all human. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, that's why I think it's timeless. You know, it doesn't really go away. It's like, and, and of course, we need artists um, with proper, I don't know, life experience to, to tell the story of classical music because um, that's the only way, only actual way that we can actually sort of portray this because, you know, it's like so human. So basically what you do as, a, as an interpreter is look at the music and try to unravel all of these emotions, sort of, besides, of course, the technical parts and understanding the style and what, what you can do, what, what are your parameters within the style. And then it can um, develop into something beautiful because it becomes a part of, of, of me um, and uh, to go back to your question I think uh, for me that sort of um, my, my own sort of heritage and my, my family's from South America uh, Guyana's British and Dutch Guyana and, and, and um, before that from India so there's all this sort of traveling and sort of and, and many composers have traveled so you have that sense of I think yeah it, it ties into to this idea of life experience and I tried to really think about, okay, what does this actually mean, missing home, or what does it mean to, to live in exile? To, you know, it's really interesting, interesting questions um, uh, that, that, that I find um, interesting to ask myself when I'm learning a piece of music. Anyways, long answer. <laughs> well, I'm curious on just growing up liking classical music, because for me, a lot of the music that, that I listened to was influenced by my peers and my classmates. So. For you, were your peers and classmates listening to classical music as well, or was this something that was unique to you? Yeah, I was uh, the odd one out. I nobody listened to classical music at all, and I was like, I don't understand why. And I was like this, this sort of geek that knew everything yeah. about like all these old people that are dead already. Yeah. And um, <laughs> people thought, okay, that he he he's one of those geeky people, yeah. which is good because they left me in peace. <laughs> you know, so it's quite good. I, it left me in peace. That, that's that's going to be the highlight of the interview right there. I just love that <laughs> sentence. You were a fan of it. When was it actually started playing? Do you remember your first experiences on the piano? Not really. I was quite young. I think I was sort of six. Uh, I asked my parents, I, I want to really play piano. And, and I, 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 think, I think for me it was... So basically I needed to express myself. And for me it was always the piano. So I never thought about it as in like, okay, um, going to play guitar or going to sing. For me it was always playing the piano. Um, and I think, um, I don't actually, I mean, I, I just knew, I, I felt at home, I've always felt at home behind the piano. I don't, I don't really, if there's, a, there's 88 keys, that's like, that's the world, that's enough for me. Like, okay. I don't need anything else. Just give me, let me live on an island and give me all the Beethoven sonatas, all the Bach works and Chopin works and Brahms works, and then I'll be completely happy with 88 keys. Love. Mind you, it needs to be a good piano there. <laughs> In your early evolution, were there any other pianists that you aspired to be or who motivated you or inspired you? Um, 
there are a few great artists. Um, I remember listening to the uh, Opus 53 Heroic Polonaise by Chopin, uh, by Ashkenazi, like over and over again. Uh, and I just couldn't believe, you know, the energy and the uh, grit and this sense of mischief as well uh, that he sort of brought to the music. Um, and I, it just, you know, I was like, this is, this is unbelievably beautiful. I mean, I, and also I can't believe that something actually writes something so beautiful, mm -hmm. so profound. I mean, it's so human. I mean, get right to the point. On another note, you know, if you if you like um, get the Henley edition from the Velado Brumel, which is a piece by Liszt, um, I think in the back of the book there are a few editions that he did the same. He rewrote the same piece a few times, obviously, and then you see how he distills the piece into a very from very sort of like lots of notes, and he became to a very distilled version of the piece. And this is like incredible. He just had to go down to that particular emotion. And so when you have these final pieces of music, like for instance the Eroic Polonaise that I just talked about, that the piece is so great because it's just, it pinpoints the emotional context straight away. And that's why I th it's just extraordinary. It's extraordinary. But I think if you're sensitive as a human being, I suppose you just, you get that. I, 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 I just got it. I was like, this is just, I don't want to, there's nothing else. This is, this is it. Uh, we could go on a whole tangent conversation about being sensitive to emotion and to art. And that's a whole other conversation. We'll table that. You have mentioned emotions quite a bit. And I'm curious how that plays a role in the mentality of getting in the right mindset. I know you're very passionate about it. You've been from a young age. So how do you get yourself in the right mindset? Is it just natural? Or is there a certain thing you do for a performance? And does the scale of the performance change that at all? Um, so I think, I think there is only, in my opinion, there's, beauty has only one truth. Uh, so the idea is if you get the expression that you think you feel this needs to be, that's, that's truth. So the idea that this can have, so if you, if you read like, I don't know, um, Hamlet, and you, you, I know you're an actor, you try to, there's only one way you can actually play it. Every human being thinks this is, this is the right way to do it because I'm the medium, right? I have lived the life that I've lived and the composer has and we try to merge them and then eventually there's only one way you can express yourself. Now, that, is, that should be the ideal mindset, the music. There's nothing else. I don't exist. It's the music that exists and there's only one way I can express this. Of course, things go wrong. I mean, I mess up all the time and that's also fine because that's human. But um, the expression is what counts. So I think... Um, that's, that should be the mindset. That is the ideal world. And obviously, that doesn't always work because sometimes the piano doesn't work. Sometimes the audience feels a bit off. You don't get a response because obviously there's this idea that you get the attention of the audience and then you, can, you sort of, you, you, you grow. I mean, you shape the phrases with the attention. Um, so things can happen, but that's because of it's, a, it's a live performance. But the idea is that's the mindset that you have to be in and then suddenly, that's it. So, yeah, I hope it answers your question a bit. Well, it does, but is, is perfection the goal? Because I know with classical music, we, you mentioned there's a standard way to play it, and it has to be done, and we have a high expectation for it. However, I know that when I've gone to performances, I like the little differences. I like when it's subtle. Maybe it was something on purpose, or maybe just an accidental mistake. So is perfection the goal? No, perfection is it's an illusion, I think. 
um, because it's human and we change and every day we feel differently. And that's why I think classical music has actually suffered quite a lot from this idea that it has to be perfect because we've got all these sort of piano competitions and, 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 and it's just, it's not really the way to, to portray the art properly, you see. It doesn't actually, it doesn't do justice to the beauty of the art because it needs to be alive. And, and so actually no, no performance can be the same. But the idea is that the expression in your mind stays the same and you try to get as close as possible to that expression. Do you get lost in yourself amongst a big group or do you seek out opportunities to engage with, with large crowds, whether it be smiling, joking, or eye contact, whether it may be, how's that relationship for you? Um, so behind the piano, obviously, you can't really interact with the audience uh, from a <laughs> frontal uh, point of view, but I think there is something about the attention span. I mentioned that before. There is, there's something about, you can feel the concentration of the audience. And you don't have to look at an audience to feel it. And I think that's the sort of key, you see. So you feel, yeah, and sometimes audiences work better than others, mm -hmm. but if they are there, that's so beautiful because then you sort of take the audience um, on, a, on a journey and that's really beautiful. So, yeah, and sometimes it just doesn't work, you know, sometimes it's not there, but sometimes it is there and that's fantastic. That's really, because that's actually, I think that's the really ideal scenario <laughs> that you have this audience and the hall works, the acoustics work um, and, and the piano works and then suddenly you've got this, you grab the attention. It's actually quite sensual, the feeling. Mm -hmm. It's quite a, yeah, it's sort of very organic. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> well, you mentioned it being the ideal scenario. So what were the situations or the experiences or the locations or the concert halls in which you did have that, that relationship with your audience? Yeah, I remember playing at St. John's Street Square, uh, and, it, and it was that. I felt it. I felt it. Um, it just worked together. You can, you can hear a pin drop. And I think, okay, it's not because of that, but you feel that everybody's like, what's, it, what's happening now? What's going to happen now? It's so beautiful. It's really yeah. beautiful. I read that your philosophy is to communicate the beauty of music. And part of that came from an epiphany that you had while performing. So can you talk about that moment and your philosophy? Yeah, I think, I think it ties into what I just uh, said. I think um, the, the music just has to, I, I shouldn't really exist. I'm just sort of carrying the music between I mean, obviously, obviously I exist because otherwise yeah. what? But <laughs> it's, it's, uh, when I'm playing, I shouldn't really be there. I mean, my thoughts are there. Obviously, it's, it's very difficult to have no thoughts at all. But um, I think when that happens, when you're completely silent, completely silent in your mind, the brain is it's not, it's just working only for the music, then you have these moments, and, and this is what I talk about, is this moment in which yeah, the, the audience is just suddenly there. And then, and that's what I meant is that I thought that's so beautiful. And this is what I, what I always want. That moment in which the audience is there. It doesn't matter if it's just one or two people as an audience. It doesn't have to be a large crowd. But the idea is that you, you live the music and you, you do it together as in you go on a journey. Because obviously, <clears throat> as interpreters, you do different things. You're in the moment, but you're also looking back and looking ahead as in how, how am I going to shape the piece? I'm going to shape the individual phrase. How I'm going to make sure that the whole piece and its four movements fit into each other. And it's like one big experience because 
that's the beauty of classical music. It's, it's the experience that counts. If things go wrong in the middle, it doesn't really matter. But if the intention is there, then there suddenly is an experience of the piece. And um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's the goal. That's yeah. the idea. Not only are you an ambassador for music, but you're almost a, a guide or a spiritual guide or a travel guide just for the art. I think, that, I think that's lovely. How'd you handle the last 12 months or the last year? I know that we're still in the pandemic and the lockdowns are still occurring around the world, but when it was at its worst, when it was at its most restrictive, how did you handle not performing? And were there certain things you picked up? Did you, did you play as much as you did in the past or would you use that as time to step back? For me, it was brilliant though, because I've been recording quite a bit. I was in the studio quite a lot. Uh, also because I noticed that it's important to nurture your followers, your fans, um, record a lot. But you know, as Carrion also said, it's also about seeing an artist perform, not only hearing. Hearing is great but you need to be involved and it, it does help to see the artist. So I've done a lot of video recordings, uh, Kings Place, um, a, a few studios around London. Um, it's, it's wonderful to do that because suddenly you're in a safe space, you can make it, you can make it as, as, as durable as you want. It's, it's really a nice thing to do. Uh, uh, not, I mean, of course, I've called it uh, sound only, which is brilliant, but, but the video is something else because, of course, that's also about you know, transmitting properly the, the, the music from visual aspect uh, so that's what I've been doing quite a lot and learning a lot of repertoire so that's brilliant uh, so I, I think I think it's been actually quite nice to just and also from a technical perspective I was able to just work on a few things that you know technically I need to loosen up a little bit more and, and just feel my, my wrists a bit more and and see how far I could get into re relaxing the hand but also activating the first joints and things that I I needed to sort of develop a little bit and I needed time because when you're learning a lot of repertoire, you don't always have the time to go into, okay, what's my hand doing? And you just want to do a lot of repertoire, you sort of learn repertoire. And I think that's, yeah, that's what I needed to do. And actually, that's why it was quite, quite great, actually. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Emotionally, was it difficult not having the actual in-person performances? Uh, no, not really. Really, I think I think for me, you know, learning learning repertoire and and sort of looking quite closely at the technical aspects of playing was quite rewarding, and I think uh, sort of really trying to understand that that is quite valuable. I think so. Uh, obviously, communicating. I think I've done quite a lot online. Uh, social media worked quite quite well. I mean, we've always got an audience. We can go live, and that works really well. Um, and I think I've tried to nurture the the, the audience that I that I have, um, and also I learned quite a lot about what they want to see, mm -hmm. what sort of content would they like to see, and, and how can I develop that. And I think, yeah, it's been quite good actually to see what sort of content I need to create, and yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. Um, and I suppose that we're, perhaps classical music needs to um, understand the value of social media a little bit more, in my opinion. Um, really understanding what it is that the audience needs in order to, because it's Western heritage, right? So how do we pass this on to the next generation? Um, and it's it's difficult because you know we've got this sort of yeah, it's, uh, classical music can be perceived as rather stuffy. But so I think we need as artists to be sort of sort of role models or inspiring figures to make sure that we pass it on the torch and 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 and, and make sure that we because i think classic music can change people's lives mm -hmm. you know the idea of just listening to the music and being more silent and 
you listen carefully, it doesn't have to be loud, but if you listen carefully, things happen. You know, you, you get silent. You become, you become more aware of the world around you. I think, I think it can help. Wonderfully said. Favorite piece of art that you experienced for the first time over the last 12 months, whether it be a new piece you listened to, a new book that you read, maybe a show that you watched, a movie or something. Just favorite, favorite new experience you had during some of the extra time you had. Well, I, I finished uh, Master Margarita, uh, which was, I think, fantastic and quite uh, surreal. So I highly recommend people reading that. Okay. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, and I think for me, um, what I always try to do is link it to the music. So what happens, um, for instance, like if I work on Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto in a moment, I just need to get into the mindset of the composer a bit. What happened during his time? How, how did he feel? You know, it's very difficult because usually these things are not really related. Sometimes they are related, but more often than not, they're not. So if they had horrible times and it didn't go very well, they wrote really sort of upbeat songs or pieces, and that's a bit weird. But so you can't really relate that. But it's quite interesting to understand the the, the, um, the history, and and I think uh, yeah, that that that's um, what I, what I try to do all all the time. But you know, time is not in in big supply usually yeah yeah you mentioned being at home and in front of the keys and the piano has taken you around the world to some of the most amazing concert halls which of the performances make you the most proud i think i, I think actually i'm quite proud of my first cd actually if i may say because the performances they just go right they just you do it and it's gone but a cd is a piece of art you know it's something you you develop and you work on the I start sort of, you know, understanding really, this is, is this what I want to say? This is what I want to say. And then that's there. And then the next day you can try to do something different. And, and then you get this sort of beautiful sort of, yeah, not perfect rendition, but somehow quite close to what you really, really want to say. Um, and I think that that's quite, quite good. And I think, I think quite proud of that. Um, performances in general, I think, I think the best performances are still to come. Love it. I think, I think, you know, it's, it's great what I've done in the past, but you, you grow also as a human being. Um, and often I've underestimated growth that you personally go through. And then you feel like I, I feel more, I feel stronger, grounded. So I feel that, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I, I, so pianistically I'm not at my peak. And also in my career, there's a lot that can happen. So, yeah. I admire that answer so much. Love that. What is the Classical Music Collective and why is it important to you? Um, yeah, so over lockdown, I started uh, building this sort of charity-based forum, actually, um, that I want to develop. And um, it's, it's basically because I, I feel that classical music can really change young people's lives. Children can get really involved with classical music, but you don't only change, you don't actually change the life of a child only. You do. Because, but they don't know because it's it needs to be natural but it's also the environment so the network and i've noticed that if you teach a child from a different background what classical music actually entails you can actually you know lift the spirits of the whole family you know they, they see a child play and they get you know they get oh this is amazing and the music is amazing where does this come from and then you get the whole people involved all these people involved in in classical music and and also uh Western culture, uh, which is actually quite important. Um, so the Classical Music Collective is the collective understanding, as in like the whole, the whole network around the young individual of classical music, and how can we actually find a way of bringing 
classical music to a young audience in the first place, but also trying to change an individual's life because uh, a child that does really well and they get grade eight to and, and, and can get a scholarship, you know, you can change an individual's life. Uh, perhaps it doesn't happen very often, but it can happen because, you know, you, you can elevate certain people. And I think that's really important. And I've seen it in which uh, whole families got involved in the child's development into learning how to play an instrument and going to concerts because, of course, you can play an instrument, you can do all the pieces, the great, great pieces and all the stuff, but it's also they go to concerts and then suddenly, oh, yeah, this is how it's supposed to sound like symphonic orchestra. Wow, this is fantastic. And then suddenly you get this whole experience. And I think that's also... It's, it's the network and it's the understanding of what the, what the network, I'm saying it, the people around it, the parents, and uh, what they need to do in order to guide a child. Because obviously it's not only the music teachers that have to do the work, it's also the, the environment. Getting a good piano, getting that sponsored, um, good environment to practice in, silence, you know, uh, regular uh, work. Um, you know, what, what is it that a parent needs to do? Because usually that's also quite, quite problematic. If people didn't actually grow up with classical music, they actually don't really know what it is that you need to do in order to achieve a certain level. Yeah. Regular practice, sometimes things go up and then you feel like you get worse again and you get better. And, and sometimes there's so many stages in the development and it's quite difficult for people to know that if you just say, oh, I want to play an instrument. It's, it doesn't go so, so smoothly usually. Um, and also the, the, there is a sound imagination that you need to build. The idea of, this is the kind of sound that we need to create. And therefore, the hands need to work well. There needs to be proper finger independence. You know, the arms need to be loose. There needs to be good shoulder relaxation. All of these things, they come into play in order to create this sort of concept of sound that we want to achieve. Um, and for that, you need inspiring teachers, you need role models. And that's the idea of the classical music, music collective, bringing it all together. Um, of course, I've got dreams for the, for the collective. You know, I'd like to build an app in which we, we, people all over the world work together on, on helping each other and work, working towards the same goal, which is learning the same pieces and, and then going into exams and trying to make sure that we encourage each other to, to do well in classical music. Um, and I think, I think that's something that I'm quite passionate about. I think it's a tremendous philosophy, especially about the network. It just reminds me of the simple phrase of it takes a village. So it takes a village for someone to be involved in classical music, but also with that, it spreads and it spreads love even more. Tremendous philosophy. What do you feel is just the biggest lesson you've learned, life lesson you learned from the last year? It doesn't even have to be music related. Um, I, think, I think we need to listen more to the people close to us. Um, over lockdown, I've had conversations with people that I never read. I, I know friends, yes. But there was time to just talk and see where it leads us. And usually we're also rushed off our feet. We don't have time to sort of stop. And it does feed into the same idea, the idea of being quiet and just listening to each other. What is, it, what is your real concern? And we've, had, we've seen so many, you know, voices come up during lockdown um, of people that felt um, it, it's difficult. I, f I, find, I find it's important that we listen to each other and that everybody needs to feel that they are treated fairly. And I think this all comes down to the same idea. If we all listen to each other, actually, and we're able to express ourselves properly and every, people actually listen, then we can understand each other better and that will solve quite a lot of problems. It's amazing how much listening makes you care more as well. So it's, it's, it works twofold with that idea. You grew up in the Netherlands, 
but now your new home, as you mentioned, it is in London. What was it that attracted you to London? Why did you desire to go to such a cosmopolitan city? I know of its virtues, but for you personally, what was it about London that attracted you the most? I, I suppose I suppose I want to go back to my grandmother's roots, and um, and that's the first thing I think, uh, and and be close to the people here. Uh, but also, I um, I think I think um, it's this this. I mean, the old empire has collected so much beautiful art, and it's mm-hmm. quite astonishing. Um, so to live that and to, to breathe it and to be here and to go to museums, there's so much to do. Um, that's fascinating. Uh, not saying that other cities have that, uh, but um, yeah, I think I think that's it. But it's also, um, I suppose, we we. We all feel an attraction to to a way of life, I suppose, and that's something you can't quite explain. Um, and I think when you found your home, you found your home. Can't say it any better. I think it's lovely. It's perfect. What would be your recommendation for someone visiting London for the first time? What would maybe an afternoon be like? What should they do? <laughs> There's a lot to do. There's lots to do. Uh, but I think I think. It, it's there's there's so much. It depends on the person, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think don't follow the crowds. Uh, don't go where tourists go. So because if they go to like the um, Regent Street, you don't want to be there. It's not very nice. I mean, it's just busy with shops and stuff. Go to back streets. There's so much. Um, you know, visit Sotheby's. It's incredible to see what's going on there. And go to the V&A. But um, if you go, don't take the main. Um, uh, go to the main rooms. Just just. Take it a step further. Always um, try to try to reach further. I, I, also, if you go to restaurants in London, um, there are amazing restaurants that you can actually visit. When you see that locals go there, it's always it's always a lot better. I mean, it it's just the the quality of, of for for instance, German Street is fantastic. You know, just behind uh, Piccadilly Circus, um, there's so many wonderful wonderful streets that lots of things happen. Like um, I'm now in Westminster, but I used to live in, in London Bridge quite a for about four years, five years. Uh, Birmingham, fantastic. But of course, everybody goes to Borough Market. But then if you ask a local, they go to Maltby Street. It's the local place. And it's just so lovely. Um, and I think you should just try to find, find those, those sort of little treasures. And there's plenty little treasures. Brilliant advice. So what's next for you? What do we have coming up? Any shows we should be aware of? What do you got next coming up? I think I think uh, the next next things that are coming out are all the recordings that I've been doing. So you don't have to travel. That's just going to be social media. Uh, I am um, I'm sort of at the moment sort of pondering uh, about writing a book on classical music and how it can change the world. So Do it. Um, and I think I think so. Yeah, there's a lot coming out, but it will all be on on all the channels. And what are all the channels? How can people follow you and stay up to date with your life and career? Uh, well, so, uh, yeah, it's just uh, Cyril Ibrahim um, at, at Cyril Ibrahim on, on Twitter uh, and, of course, Instagram um, and, and YouTube. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, I always try to respond to DMs and stuff. Um, so I always like to have conversation with people about art and, 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 and culture and, and classical music. So I try to be – it's difficult to, to keep up, but, I, I, you know, it's important to nurture – connections and any opportunity to have a chance to talk about art and culture is it's a conversation well done 
This was lovely. I really love your personality. I feel you're the type of person that I could just chat with for hours upon hours about, not just about music especially, but also just philosophy in life. I know I can tell that with you already. You're incredibly intelligent. I, I loved our conversation. I hope we do it again. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you as well. This was fantastic. Enjoy the rest of your evening, but thank you so much for today. You're most welcome, and thank you so much. All right, cheers. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Ah, what an incredible human. Again, give him a follow on social media, and for more information, visit his website, CyrilIbrahim.com, and be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel, where you can hear many, many, many wonderful performances, including the next one by Brahms. Curiosity is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway Show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Adiento. Randall has become like, you know, New York's favorite son.